Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you in your ultimate wisdom, your, your ultimate love for us, that you gave us something that we can base our lives on. It's not just hearsay. It's not just stories. It's not fables. But it's, it's your word spoken to man, recorded, tested, tried, and still standing. Father, we do thank you that your word, your word is established in our hearts. And Lord, we, it is a basis for everything that we do. Lord, help us to, see, to understand that in every way, even more today, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, our evaluation of the Bible and other holy books is governed by the recognition that the Bible is the inspired word. We have to believe that the Bible is inspired by God, that it didn't just happen. It wasn't uh, just a collection of of, uh, novels written by a bunch of old guys a few thousand years ago that somebody decided, you know, let's base our life on this. No, God purposefully, purposefully and skillfully worked through man and wrote down his chosen, his inspired word. He inspired people to record his will. That's what we need to establish in our hearts and believe. If God's word is found to be in the, or in the Bible, what we call the Bible, then no other book can be officially God's word. There's a lot of books out there that say this is God's word. There's a lot of ancient books, but there's also a lot of newer books. You know, why is the Book of Mormon not the inspired word of God? We don't believe that, do we? Why is, why is the, the Jehovah's Witness Bible not the inspired word of God? Because we don't believe that. There's a reason for that. And, it's, and, there, and we'll talk about that today. If, there's, if, the, if the word of God, the Bible, the, the Bible that we have had handed down to us over 2,000 years plus, if this is true, then anything that disagrees with it is False. It's, it, it, if, if this says something is true, what Brian even said this morning, if this says it's true and something else says something differently, then something else is false, whether it's experiences or even a document that's, that claims to be the Word of God. So, to differ from what the Bible says is to differ not only with the Word of God, but to, to differ with God himself. So what do we mean by inspiration? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Inspired is translated from the Greek word theonoustost, which literally means God-breathed. We are claiming that the Bible as we know it, the Bible that we accepted, the Bible that has been, not just we accepted, but that has been accepted throughout history, is not just a bunch of words written down, but it's a bunch of words written down that are actually the words spoken by God to an individual, and they recorded it. Either they saw it, and they recorded it historically, or they God spoke it and said, write it down, or they saw something that happened, and, and, they, they, and God spoke to them and said, write it this way. Sometimes it was dictated, but many times it was just written, here's what happened. 
Here's what I just saw. But because they were inspired by the, by the Spirit of God, it's God speaking through them. Okay? Inspiration, in the biblical sense, is the writers accurately writing what God wanted written. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 20, says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No one, uh, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These guys didn't make it up. It wasn't their opinion. It was God leading them. If not, if it was their opinion, it's worthless. I mean, it might be right, but I can't base my life, my, my belief in a, in a uh, sovereign God or, a, or a, something bigger than myself, I can't trust that unless these guys were really led by God. Because there's a lot of books out there that are true. But I'm not going to base my, my eternity on it. it ha- if, if, if it is uh, something that has to do with eternity, then it has to be from God. Theologian Carl F. Henry writes, Inspiration is a supernatural influence upon the divinely chosen prophets and apostles, whereby the Spirit of God assures the truth and trustworthiness of their oral and written proclamation. God is putting his stamp of approval on it. This is authoritative. This is true. If it's, if it's in this word, if it's in this Bible, then it is trustworthy. We can base our life upon it. Furthermore, the writers were divinely superintended by the Holy Spirit in the choice of words they used. Superintended just means to watch over or to guide. To be a, to, he, he was involved in it. He didn't just say, hey, write a book about Jesus, will you? Oh, great, you know, they write a book. No, he was uh, individually uh, involved daily with them recording what is written. And we're going to look at a number of different places within the Bible that where it says that's exactly what happened. We'll get to that in just a moment. Although some things were dictated to the writers, most of the time the Spirit simply superintended the writing so that the writer, using his own words, wrote what the Spirit wanted. So, historically, you know, I've been saying that, that this is not just our opinion. It's not just saying, well, this is the Word of God. You have to trust me. Uh, I've been doing this for a number of years. I've uh, read a bunch of it. And uh, this, this is truly the Word of God. Trust me on that. No. There's so much more. There's so much more basis that this has stood the test of time. The first being the early church. The early church. Now, what is so special about the early church? The first century, second century church. Any idea what's so special about their word on it? They were there. They were there. They saw it happen. When John wrote and said, this is what happened. This is, I'm going to give you an account of what happened. When Matthew wrote and said, this is what happened. This is what I saw happen. There were other people who were also there. And those other people read what they wrote and said, yep, that's what happened. I saw it too. There were many witnesses. Why did Jesus reveal himself after his resurrection to 500 people? 
There was witnesses. You know, if it was just two people on the road to Emmaus, they could go, yeah, whatever, you know, great, that's nice. Or if it was just Mary at the tomb, okay, cool, you know, whatever. You, your story is wonderful. That's very inspiring. But no, he, he showed himself to 500 people after his, over 500 people after his resurrection, and he talked about it. And, and they, so when they, somebody said, this is what happened, they go, yep, that's what happened, so-and-so. You were there, weren't you? Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it too. When they, see, when they said Jesus walked on the water, were tw- well, there were 12 guys who watched him walk on the water. And if one of them wrote, Matthew uh, writes that Jesus walked on the water, and James goes, no, that's not what happened. But James didn't say that. He agreed with it. The early church agreed wholeheartedly, yes, those are the things that happened. That is understood. Then, also, the early church began to use these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the epistles, to use them to teach their own doctrine. Within the first, second, and third century, they would read it to each other. Paul says, and we'll get there in a moment, when you get together, read the letter that I sent to the Laodiceans. Why? Because it has, it has truth in it. It has inspiration. God's speaking to you through it. And over, this, over time, it became more and more accepted. Yeah, this is the Word of God. We can base our life on this stuff. There is truth in it. Historically, the church consistently held to the inspiration of Scripture at least until the 19th century. Now the church, you know, many, much of the church is walking around saying, well, you know, some of it's true. It's, it's, it's a good story. It's a good, it's a good fable you can base your life. Because, I mean, fables are good. It teaches you something. It has a moral to it. No. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. It's more than something just to base your life on. It's, it's something that actually gives you life. It causes you to understand who God is. The great Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield said, Christendom has always reposed, which, is, which means rested, upon the belief that the utterances of this book are properly oracles of God. All these guys, Warfield, Hodge, Machen, Henry, J.I.A. Packer, and other reputable scholars and theologians over the last century and a half have argued forcefully for the inspiration of Scripture. And as Warfield notes, this belief underlies all the creeds of the church as well. You know, the way I like to say it when I'm talking to people about theology and we get to a, a sticking point, a whole lot of people smarter than you and me are saying this is the, this is a inspired word of God. This is trustworthy. People who have studied it out. The more I study for this series, this fifty-two week plus series, the more I realize there is a lot of information out there, and you can study and study and study and not get to the end of it. You know, in John, when it says that can can the world hold all the books that were that are going to be written about what Jesus did? No, because there's there you would not believe how much is out there. And I encourage you to start digging for yourself. Because the, the depth and the width and the breadth, I mean, I can't possibly share everything in one week or one 52-week uh, session. 
But there are a lot of people, the people who have studied this for centuries, said, yes, this is the Word of God. This is inspired. This is, this was God revealing Himself to us. You can trust this. Now, in the last century, or even in, the, you know, in our lifespan, more and more people are saying, oh, no, it's just a book. Now, why do they do that, though? Why, why are they trying to just say, no, you can't trust this? This isn't true. Because if this isn't true, we're lost. There's nothing else that we can step on. There's nothing else that we can hold on to. If this is not what it claims to be, then we are wasting our time. It must be what it is. And we need to understand why it is. That's why we're doing this. That's why we need to have this deep within us. Orthodox. I want to go back to that, the, the couple of slides. Historically, the church has consistently held to the inspiration of Scripture at least until the 19th century. I want to give you a word this morning. It's not in your notes. But it's a word that I keep running into, and, and it needs to be defined, and we need to talk about it a bit, because as we go through this whole 52 weeks, we need to understand this word and its importance to us. The word is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. O-R-T-H-O-D-O-X. Orthodox or orthodoxy. You may have heard that word before when in reference to uh, the Orthodox Church. There is a... There is a denomination that is called the Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodox, Orthodox Church, so on different, you can have a Jewish Orthodox. The word itself means this, conforming to accepted doctrine established early and held throughout the ages. Let me write this, say that again so you can write it down, because like I say, it's not in your notes yet. Conforming to accepted doctrine established early and held throughout the ages. And I'll say it one more time for people like me who takes forever to write something down as you are hearing it. Conforming to accepted doctrine, established early and held throughout the ages. There, is, there are a lot of views out there on how things happen or the the. the truths of our faith, whether it be end times, whether it be baptism, whether it be uh, the gifts of the Spirit, whether it be this, whether it be that, whether it be tithing, whether it be giving, whether it be, you know, all of these uh, non-essentials, they're essential, but not, you know, they're, they're not essential essentials, essential essentials. There's all kinds of views out there. But these views, we need to sort through them and we need to go back to where what has been generally accepted. What has been believed from the beginning. Because somebody can come out and say, well, I believe this. And I can give you this proof, this proof, this proof, this proof, this proof. And, and you hear it and you go, I don't think that's right. But I don't know, I don't have the background yet to, to, to prove it right or wrong. How am I going to do that? Well, what has been generally accepted? What has been the belief within the church from the beginning? Well, one thing that is orthodoxy, or is generally accepted throughout the whole church, from the, early, from the beginning, all the way through, and has been tested by time, is the inspiration of the Word of God. 
That is accepted. It was accepted. The, the people who knew better, the people who knew what was going on, they went, yes, that is what was said, that is what was done, that is truth. So orthodox, you're going to hear that because there's all kinds of views out there that are not orthodox. That are like, where in the world did you get that one? That might be fun, but I've never heard that one before. And how did you get to that point? So on and so forth. So, sorting through, there has to be a scale. There has to be a plumb line. So, we have the historical view of the church. Now we have the witness of the Old Testament. What does the Bible say about itself? What does the Old Testament say? Let's turn to the Bible itself, beginning with the Old Testament to see whether its own claims match the beliefs of the church. The clear intent of the Old Testament writers was to convey God's message. God had a plan. God had a message. At the beginning, he was having daily communion with Adam and Eve. He would come down every day and he would walk with them in the garden. And if they hadn't screwed up, I mean, I'm going to have a talk with Adam and Eve. What in the world were you thinking? Because they blew it. They were having daily communion face-to-face with God. They were having a discussion with Him. He told them what, they, what He wanted them to do and how He wanted them to live, and they, had, and they would hear it right from His mouth. But when they sinned, when they no longer accepted His word for itself, and he, they trusted Satan instead, God said, okay. And He backed away from that relationship. He had to. Because He, he could not intermingle. He could not be with sin itself. But, praise God, from the beginning, he had a plan. He had a plan to reunite that relationship. He didn't just say, skip you guys, good luck, have fun, we'll see you at the end, and you're not in good shape. No, he says, I mean, right from the very beginning, right from that moment of sin, uh, when he was confronting Adam and Eve and the serpent, he says, he goes, he looks at the serpent and he says, my seed, or the seed of, of, of the woman, is going to come and he's going to crush your head. That's good news. But it's, it's God revealing his plan. And every book since then of the Old Testament was revealing the plan that the seed of the woman was coming. And that God had a plan to redeem man. And he told the story, and he told it again, and he told it in so many different ways through the prophets. And they wrote it down so that whoever read it could understand he's coming. And then we get to the New Testament, and the message has changed just slightly. He's come. He's been here. He did what he said he would do. And then the epistles is, now that he's come and he did what he said he's going to do, here's how you're to live your life. The whole message from the beginning to the end was God revealing himself and revealing his plan. The clear intent of the Old Testament. Okay, so consider first that God was said to speak to people. How did he inspire people? In the Old Testament, he, he spoke to prophets, specifically prophets, but then he also began to speak to kings, the people who were anointed with the Holy Spirit. God says, Deuteronomy 5.27, Thus saith the Lord, Exodus 4.22, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah 1.9. The word of the Lord came to him, Genesis 5, or 15.4 and 1 Kings 17.8. 
all these references to God speaking show that he was interested in communicating with us verbally. But he only spoke to certain people. He only spoke to prophets. He only spoke to kings. He only spoke to people that could be a mouthpiece. Have you ever wondered why God just doesn't come into the, you know, you know show up on the earth, call CNN, uh, Fox News, NBC, and all these guys and say, hey, I want to do a news conference. I exist. That's not the way he does things. He wants us to not believe because we see. He wants us to believe by faith. He wants us to believe because faith is higher than seeing. You know, when he said to, to, to Thomas, and you know, when Thomas goes, hey, I'm not going to believe that he, he rose from the dead until I can touch his side and touch his hand. So Jesus shows up and says, stick your, your fingers in my side. Ugh. Now, touch my hands. And, and what does Thomas say? I believe. You're Lord. You're, you're God. But Jesus said to him something very profound. He says, you, see, or you believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. Faith, faith is the reason. He doesn't want to beat someone into submission. He doesn't want to to make you believe in him. He won't do that. His plan, his purpose is for you to be be, uh, revealed, him to be revealed slowly to us. And as as we see it, we go, wait a second, this is inevitable. He is who he says he is, then we follow him. That brings him glory. The Old Testament explicitly states 3,808 times. I did not count them. But I found somebody who did. That it is conveying the express words of God. God was so interested in people preserving and knowing his word that at times he told people to write down what he said. Exodus chapter 17, 14 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Why did God have say it to Moses and then said, now give the book to Joshua? Why didn't God just say it to Joshua? You ever wondered about that? Because Joshua was a human being. Has God ever spoken anything to your heart? Have you ever doubted it afterwards? Yes. You know, uh, Robin Roberts, one of the, the, the things that has always stuck with me, one of the things that he said, and there's many, but one of the things that he said, he says, when you get a word from the Lord, when, when, when there's a prophetic word for your life, and, and God speaks that prophetic word for your life, there's a reason for it. Because you're going to need it when you go through what you go through. You know, 26 years ago, Deb and I were in a, in a Bible study together, in a prayer meeting. It was really a prayer meeting. And there was this guy. And he was, we were in the middle of prayer, and he looks at Debbie, and he goes, Debbie, can I ask you a question? Are you pregnant? Which caused both of us to start to hyperventilate. And, you know, and just, we'd only been married for a few weeks or months or whatever it was. And, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't want, no, 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 never mind. I went, no, you can't stay, say that and then not finish. Why? What, what do you, and he goes, well, I don't know what's going on. He says, the Lord just showed me. He says, he says, 
I don't, if you're not pregnant, he says, what he, God showed me is he showed me your children, your child. And he said some very specific things about the character of our child, who our child. Now, we didn't have children for 11, 12, 13 years. When was it? 12 years after that. But everything he has said is coming to pass. I see it. But one of the things, the most important thing that he said, which completely went over my head, I, ne- I didn't realize, I remembered it afterwards, but I never thought about it for 12 years. But the one thing that stuck in Deb's heart was when he said, Deb, God wants to let you know it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And if you know the story, I won't tell the whole story, but she had preeclampsia. Her blood pressure spiked. They had, to, they had to deliver Ethan, how many weeks early? Nine weeks early. His life was in danger. Her life was in danger. I was freaking out in faith. <laughs> and afterwards, she told me, she says, John, she goes through the whole thing, through the whole ordeal. She kept hearing the words, it's going to be okay. That's, that's what came to her. That's what, what rose up inside of her. Now, why didn't God say that to her? Because she needed to hear it from somebody else. She needed the, a, a vessel of God. She needed somebody to speak it to her so that she heard it from, that it wasn't just her own idea. Because we could, you know, she could have, if it was just God spoke it to her, and, she, and, and you know, Debbie, it's going to be okay. Debbie, it's going to be okay. Debbie, it's going to be okay. And then she gets into that moment, she could always go, well, was that really God? Did I really hear? No. So why does God have these things written down? Because you read that, you get that into your spirit, and if you've ever been in those moments, and all of us have, all of a sudden, what comes out? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. All those who rise up against me shall fall. Though a thousand may fall on my right hand and ten thousand on my left, I shall not be harmed. I never set out to memorize that verse. But I've read it enough, it just comes out. That's what, that's what the Word of God does. It's inspired. It isn't just a word that, that's written down to tell a nice story. It has the power of God. That in the moment that you need it, it comes out of you, and it has the power to do miraculous things. The clear testimony of Old Testament writings is that God spoke to people and He instructed them to write down the things He said. These writings have been handed down to us. Now, we shouldn't think that the Old Testament or the New Testament either, that either one was just dictated to the authors. In fact, most of the Bible wasn't. Most of the Bible was them writing what they saw. They felt led to write. Uh, Luke says, he says, I feel as though I'm supposed to write, or if I feel led to write down a, a, a systematic record of the events that took place with Jesus. Dun, 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 dun. Then Luke later writes the Acts. Here's what happened after he rose. Dun, 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 dun. They went to here, they went to there, they did this, they said that, they went to da da And he, he, he recorded historically what he saw, what he observed. He was a doctor. He was into observation. This is what's going on, here's what happened, so on and so forth. What we want to establish, the most important thing, the takeaway of this whole up to this point, is that God is a communicating God. 
He speaks. He spoke to them, they wrote it down. He showed them, they wrote it down. He led them, they wrote it. He wants to communicate with you and I. He is not an impersonal, detached, uncaring God. He has a plan, he is working his plan, and he wants you to specifically know about it. So it is written down, he inspired it, he led it moment by moment. So what did Jesus say about Scripture? He clearly acknowledged that the Old Testament writings were divine in nature. This is Jesus speaking in John chapter 10, beginning with verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the Scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent him into the world... You are blaspheming because I said, or you're saying you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. Jesus believed it was God's word that came to the prophets of old. And he referred to it as scripture that could not be broken. Matthew 5, 17, beginning with 17, says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota or not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the, uh, the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he affirmed the law and he fixed them above all the whims of men. Jesus drew on the teachings of the Old Testament in his own encounters with Satan. Man shall not live by alone, you shall, or by, by bread alone. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. All of those came out of Deuteronomy. Each statement was prefaced by it was written, it was said. Jesus said that he only spoke what the Father wanted him to speak. John chapter 12, verse 49. By quoting these passages as authoritative over Satan, he is in effect saying that these are are God's words. He also honored the words of Moses, of Isaiah, David, Daniel. He quoted them as Scripture, as authoritative, and carrying the weight of of God's own words. The apostles, in their writings, called the scriptures inspired. Paul attributed what he taught directly to to Christ, to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 13, This is the third time I I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while I'm absent. As I did... When present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. He identified the, his gospel with the preaching of Jesus, Romans 16. I'm not going to read that for time's sake. You can read that on your own. He also said that his, his, his words were taught by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about how he was given them by the Spirit. 
What he wrote to the Corinthians was the Lord's commandment. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 36 and 37. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. Now, I just want to stop here. I'm not going to say this every week, but I want to continue to say this as often as I need to, to remind you, I'm not going to be able to teach everything that's in the notes. But I encourage you to go back and now now meditate on those things. Read those things for yourself. Get those deep inside of you so that when somebody says, oh, come on, it's just a bunch of stories. No, it's not a bunch of stories. The Old Testament says that it is God-breathed. Here, I'll show you. Here's what the New Testament says. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what the disciples, the apostles said. You have that now in your possession, so you don't, it's a reference point to go back to when you need it. But read it now. Study those things out. Do the, do the work yourself. Study to show thyself approved. Amen? Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Peter also wrote, 2 Peter 1, verse 20, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, we have uh, examples all the way through that God was speaking to man. God was revealing himself to man. So what was he saying? And here is the second part of what I want to talk about today. The first of all is that the Bible is inspired. It's inspired by God. God did it. His purpose, his desire, his will was to let us know something. Now the question is, what does he want us to know? What was he doing with all of this? Why did he go through all this work? What was his purpose? His purpose was clear, concise, and very focused. He wanted to reveal to man himself. He wants us to know him. He doesn't just want us to live a good life. He doesn't just want us to be happy. Now, if you know him... You'll be happy. You'll have joy anyway. Happy is a fleeting thing. If you understand him and you, you can recognize him and you, and you can know where to find him, your life will be fulfilled by default. But he knew that we could, we could have all the answers to happiness and, and joy and all those but if we don't have him, we have nothing. So what was his sole main intent and purpose? Was to reveal himself. His revelation of who he is and what, he, what his will is for us. So what is revelation? This is the second part. The content and process of God's making himself known to people. All knowledge of God comes by way of revelation. Human knowledge of God is revealed knowledge since God, and He alone can give it. He bridges the gap between Himself and His creatures, disclosing Himself and His will to them. 
By God alone can God be known. It always intrigues me. I'll be, you know, over the years, I'll be uh, witnessing to someone. And I'll tell them about who Jesus is. And here's what he did for you. And here's the plan and the purpose. And here's how he did it. And blah, blah, blah. And, and you're giving them all the information they need to know who, to make a decision to receive Christ as their Savior. And then many times I've had somebody go, well, that's not what I believe. I'm like, Really? Well, what do you believe? Because I want to know. I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested in, in them as a person, and it's going to take a little longer, but okay. What do you believe? Oh, well, I believe Jesus was a space alien. You laugh. I had someone tell me that. Jesus was a space alien, and he came to earth on a blah, blah, blah. And he, I said, really? My question to him was, where'd you get that? Oh, that's just what I believe. Really? Based upon what? Well, you know, we don't really know all the answers. Yeah, we do. It says right here where he came from. Who he was, what he's doing, why he's here. No, I don't believe the Bible. I just, I, I just believe this because that's what I want to believe. <laughs> well, good luck to you. Modern thought often questions the possibility and or reality of Revelation. Biblical faith affirms revelation is real because the personal creator God has chosen to let his human creatures know him. The question remains, how can a person know God? The Bible appears to distinguish two ways of knowing God. General and special revelation. Two different ways. Two things. Two ways that God reveals himself. General revelation. This is really important and specific or special revelation. Okay, Let me give you an example of general revelation. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteous, unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So, God reveals himself through nature, Well, when he reveals himself through nature, that means that through the events of the physical world, God communicates to us things about himself that we would otherwise not know. Uh, I've been seeing on Facebook lately, there's been a lot of postings going around from the Hubble telescope and the the constellations and the, you know, you see this vast uh, expanse, this, this amazing creation that God has created. You can sit and watch a sunset going down. And you're just awed by, I mean, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. You look at the things around us, and, and the Bible says that, that we, we have no excuse for not knowing there is something bigger than us. There is something more important than us. That is general revelation. There is a God somewhere. There's a great book. I need, we, need it. we had it in the bookstore for, for a while and people bought them up real, like crazy a number of years ago. And then I, I just looked it up this week to make sure it was still available. It is. You write it down. You can get it from Amazon. It's called Eternity in Their Hearts. Eternity 
in their hearts. It's a fan, I think his name is Don Richardson. Fantastic book. What it does is it talks about um, creation stories through indigenous tribes that do not have any contact with Christianity. What are their stories? Explain how the world began. Oh, well, our story says, and I won't give away because it is absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. But one of the stories in there talks about one of the, uh, I think it was either Inca or Mayan kings. And he was sitting one day, and and they worshipped the sun. And he was worshiping the sun, he was contemplating the greatness of the sun, how it was God, and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, a cloud went across in front of the cloud, or in front of the sun. And he said, wait a second, if the sun is God, how can it be eclipsed by a mere cloud? So he deduced that the sun can't be God. And his words that he said was, if the sun is not God, then who is God, reveal yourself to me. With a short time after that, missionaries came and taught him about Jesus Christ. By nature, just by the very nature that, God, this couldn't have happened by accident. So why is is society so bent on on saying that this isn't true, that this word is not inspired, that even the very first story is wrong? Why is that so important? Because if they can negate the truth of the Bible, then they can negate the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Interesting. I don't know, online, you have to Google this. Google this, uh, make a note, Google it. There's going to be a uh, debate between Bill Nye, the science guy, and Ken Ham coming up. I think it's on the 4th of February. Is that right? I think it's 4th of February. Google that. You can watch it online. Should be interesting. I saw an interview with Bill Nye this last week, and I was thinking, oh, this is going to be interesting. Because he just the only argument he has was, you know, yeah, this other guy, this guy that has a creative, he, he's just ignorant. He doesn't know anything. And that's his only argument. I'm thinking, if that's your only argument, good luck. It's going to be interesting. So, I once again, rabbit trail. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there any words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun. So this is what we call natural or general revelation. The things we see. Um, we see it also through people. We can see in human beings that there is something. This did not happen. Why, why is evolution such a, a prominent uh, attack on the Christianity today? Because if this happened by accident, then there's no meaning for life. If, if it's really survival of the fittest or survival of the biggest, we win. I win, Ted wins, it'll be between him and I, let's form an alliance. (laughs) And all rules are off. Morality? Who cares about morality? If there's no God, I don't care. 
Because I'm not necessarily a nice guy. The only thing that keeps any of us in check is that there is a God and there will be a judgment and we have to deal with this. And there is a moral code set by God. Not set by human norms. Oh, we're just nice people, so we're going we're gonna to be nice to each other. <laughs> I almost made a gesture. Sorry. I learn things about God all the time through my wife, how we interact. I understand more about, about loving just because it's, you're supposed to be loved is because my wife loves me, even though I don't deserve it. And I get that. I can read it in the Bible, but when I see it in her life, acting it out, things that I, how I love my kids, even when they're kids, even when they're, they're, they are the way they are, I still love them and I will, get, I will help them in any way possible. That shows me God's love for me. So he reveals himself through everything we see and everything we experience in this world. People are God's unique workmanship, evidenced by their place of dominion over the rest of creation. In their capacity to reason, feel, imagine, in their freedom to act and respond, in their sense of right and wrong. So God's general revelation is plain, whether in nature or in human consciousness or in history. There are five things here really quickly. Religious, religious belief is nearly universal in human phenomena. Every corner of the earth, people say there is something bigger. Now, they all say different things. If they don't have a revelation, a special revelation of who Jesus is. But the light of nature is not sufficient, though, to give the knowledge of God necessary for salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved than Jesus Christ. For God's power, goodness, and His righteousness have been revealed, but not His redemptive power through grace. This is revealed only through special revelation. Special revelation is necessary to instruct people how to worship God rightly. God in His general revelation reveals Himself, but because of our sinfulness, humans pervert the reception of His general revelation. A revelation so plain it leaves all without excuse. So in contrast to God's general revelation, there is an available to all people, which is available to all people, God's special revelation is available to specific people at specific times in specific places and ways. The writers of the Old Testament, the writers of the New Testament, and people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is accepted, proven, and unchangeable revelation. This is the specific revelation of God. This tells us how to worship Him, how we are to live our lives, who He is specifically, and what our responsibility is. So this brings me to a question. If general revelation is everything that we see, and this is specific revelation of how we are to live. This is tried, true, accepted, done. It is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God. It is the revelation of God. My question to you now is, is there still specific revelation being given? <laughs> this is a test. If this were a real... No, it is a real question. I'm going to deal with this a lot more when we get to the Holy Spirit. But I am going to say, 
yes. God still reveals himself specifically to people. His plan, his will, his desires. He leads us. But, but, and but. Put that three times in your notes. Yes, but, but, but. It absolutely, 100%, no question whatsoever must line up with this. If someone comes and says, well, God showed me that this is really the way it's supposed to be, our question should be immediately say, show me where it says that in the Word. And if it's not there, they're wrong. Or you're wrong. I'm wrong. We don't get to get, you know, have new ideas. Well, God's really like this. We don't get to do that. It is not, that is not orthodox. That's where that word key is going to keep coming back in. It must line up with... Now, are there things that we're still learning about God and, going, and, and new revelation, or specific, not new, careful. Whew. Specific, is there, is there specific revelation that is still being revealed to us? Sure. Daily. But, but, but. It has to line up with this. Must line up with this. This is what is tried true and does not move. This does not move. This does not move. This does not move. This does not move. Ever. But Pastor John, you're being awful dogmatic. Thank you. I receive that. I accept that. That's good. Last verse. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Can I have the prayer partners come forward? Anyone who's one of the prayer partners, both sets of prayer partners, come on up. Get ready to pray. We have people who are praying for people and agreeing with you. If there's anything you need prayer for, it's wonderful. Powerful things have happened and are happening through these prayer times. And we also need to take the chairs down this week, I believe. And uh, so do that. As Give these guys some time to pray, though, ahead of time. Don't, uh, don't move them and stack chairs next to them. You know, let them have their space and, and uh, freedom. And we also need to sign up for portrait sessions. Now is the time. You need to sign up either online or back here. If you don't have a computer on you at the moment, go back here and sign up today. Amen? You can't do it online now anyway. He has it locked down. Sometimes I feel like a trained monkey. I will just say whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is living and active and sharper than two -edged, any two-edged sword. Lord, thank you that as you continue to reveal yourself to us, we know you, we know, we'll know your plan, and we'll be able to live our lives daily, ever, ever increasingly, giving you more and more glory with our lives. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.